1: There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go? 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember.
0: So, uh, when did you first know you were a, a, a mutant? Um, but you cut
1: that out. You have to understand, we thought Bobby was going to a school for the gifted. Bobby is gifted. We know that. We just didn't realize. We
0: still love you, Bobby. It's just this mutant problem is a little What
1: mutant problem? Complicated. What exactly are you, Professor of, Mr. Hogan? Art. Well, you should see what Bobby can do. they discovered that males are the ones who carry the mutant gene and pass it on, so it's his fault.
0: Hello and welcome to the 602 Club. I'm so excited to be here as we uh, come from Mutant High. Yeah, it's so nice here. And that, I gotta say, the house is a little bit different this time, um, but it's still looking good. I'm feeling comfortable. I love all the wood paneling. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to have with me again to talk about some more X-Men the one and only
1: Sean Eastridge. Hey Matt, thank you for having me and I really do like what you've done with the place. It feels a little bit more homey. I feel like there are more people around. There's some more camaraderie happening. People are just watching TV. Everyone's hanging out after midnight eating ice cream, watching television. So, it's nice. There's a good yeah, vibe. Yeah, what's
0: nice about it is we just had more money so we could get more extras,
1: you know. I like yeah, that. I like so. that. We should do that. Uh, yeah, definitely keep that up. Sadly, there's no beer.
0: It's a school. So, you
1: know, that's <laughs> all right. I'm good with whatever Dr. Pepper. Yeah. <laughs> I love that he pulled off Dr. Pepper. Whatever the sponsor yeah. <laughs> for this movie was, I'm good with that. This film has been brought to you by Dr. Pepper. <laughs> when, when Wolverine can't have a beer, Dr. Pepper will do. It quenches his. Thirst. I don't always drink soda, but when I do, I make it Dr. Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> and then throwing a like just yes, the claws down. Yeah. And he pops the bottle with the claw perfect. We got oh, it. Oh man. That's the next that's your marketing scheme, Fox. Run go back in time, change it up. I don't know why they're not doing it.
0: But um, before we dive into X2, uh, just a quick reminder, you can find us all over the place. FM is everywhere. Uh, one of the best places to check out is over on iTunes, iTunes.com slash Trek.FM. Uh, we've got so many shows here on the network. Of course, the 602 Club. And uh, hit us up with Starbating Review, letting people know what you think of the show. Um, you know, you can share the show on Twitter. Uh, you can follow us at... FM, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. We've got a listeners-only discussion group over there on Facebook called the Babel Conference. A couple of different ways to get there. One is to type Babel into the search field in Facebook, or you can go over to the website at trek.fm and any of the show pages. There's a menu bar, and you'll see discussion. Just click that, and that'll bring you over there. And while you're at the website, go to trek.fm slash contact. Choose a show choose the 602 club and that will allow you to send an email to the show and then it'll come to me and any of the hosts that week and we can talk to you about whatever you'd like to talk about
1: so dear matt i think you should have sean on the show it's sincerely anonymous great okay i sent my message. Okay, okay i mean someone sent a message i don't know. wait a minute you're here oh what oh yeah hey. hey man look at that talk about quick wish fulfillment <laughs> there we go just with the people one
0: I wanted to to ask you, um, because I think this is interesting. Uh I was watching the behind the scenes and, and you know, this movie kind of picks up where we leave off in the first one. But what was most interesting to me in, in doing that was that even Brian Singer mentioned something on the extras that we had kind of mentioned, which is that the movie is good, but that it, it's it's not great. The first movie. Right. The first movie. Right. And I thought that that was really interesting to hear him kind of feel like he had been, he even, his own words were, I felt like we were kind of
1: creating a trailer for a better movie. That's, I feel like he, I don't know if I subconsciously picked that up from him, because I think I said that in the episode we did. And, but it does feel that way. And I know a lot of people felt that way. So maybe it was just this kind of osmosis of Singer recognizing that, and saying, okay, well, the second time around, we've really got to up the ante and, and make it a better experience, make it a fuller experience, more exciting, more emotional. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there is a, there's a sense with X-Men 2 that he really was like, I'm going to prove everybody who was kind of let down by X-Men that I've got the chops to make this work.
0: Well, and, and on top of that, though, too, you know, there's a very big difference between doing Superman or Iron Man. Just one character that you have to introduce and having an entire ensemble that you have to introduce and a world that is all its own. You know, X-Men has so many different things going on in it that I I do feel that, you know, I think he did the best job he could with trying to introduce that many characters and this world, this milieu for X-Men to hang out in. And that's what really frees him up. They do such a good job of that in the first movie that they really can just hit the ground running in the second movie.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of that was, as we discussed, the the first X Men movie came out at a time when superhero movies were not uh, respected. They were not only were they not respected, they were no longer seen as commercially viable. They were they were jokes. They were parodies. It was Batman and Robin, Joel Schumacher. Um, you had something like Blade, but again, it was still kind of that was a little under the radar. X Men was a mainstream superhero movie that proved that superhero movies could be serious and could be good. Like they could be considered like, oh, this is actually good cinema. And uh, I think there was a lot of pressure on Brian Singer and probably a lot of pressure from the studio. They probably put a lot of boundaries on him and were like, we have this budget. You can't go above that. You can only do this many things. It, there were a lot of constraints with X Men 1, and a lot of that came probably from the need to prove that they could do it and that it could be popular. And when that happened and when it was kind of like, okay, people like this, we, the reins are kind of loosened a little bit. And you feel like Singer's kind of going with the shackles off. He, he has a little bit, there's a vibe right from the get-go of this movie where you feel like, all right, we're in for like a really awesome ride here.
0: I mean, you could tell right away that not only do they have, you know, it, it feels like probably more time behind the camera, uh, but they have more money. You know, because yes. I mean, we we really do start off with a bang with, uh you know, the whole nightcrawler scene, and it's it's still an amazing, fantastic
1: scene. Like it still works so well. That blew. I remember seeing that in the theater, and this was so. This was two thousand three. I was in high school. I think I was. Let's see, two thousand three. I was a sophomore. And in high school. I was about 16. X-Men, the first one, was like my favorite, favorite movie. Uh, I, I When that came out, I loved it. I was so excited for the second one. And my theater-going experience was one of the best I've ever had. That was the first time I went to a movie, and the audience cheered, applauded along with... I'd never seen that. I was like, oh my god, this is like an event. This is amazing. And that opening scene was like you you just felt it. You felt the energy of the audience just kick up to a whole other level, and you compare it to. I mean, X Men One opens with a scene, a very somber recreation of the the Holocaust, like Auschwitz, and you can see Brian Singer is like, "All right, people are taking us seriously, so let's just have some fun." And you kick it off with this amazing action sequence visually stunning it still holds up today even the the special effects the seams kind of show a little bit but it's still so impressive that one shot where nightcrawler is going around the room beating everybody up and everyone's going flying it still is like man this is so cool well and and one of the neat things is
0: i was just looking at the way that they did the effect and the smoke effect and everything that they use it helps cover up the cgi-ness of it Yes. You know, the, the, the I get that they vibe, wisely yeah. chose something that ages well. Um, there are other effects here that do not age well whatsoever. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, but this scene really kicks off this movie in a way that lets you know that this movie is going to ratchet up everything that we had in, in the first movie. And, and part of that too is like this, this action scene doesn't just ratchet up uh, the action itself. It's it's bringing to new heights the thematic elements right at the beginning that humans and mutants are coming closer and closer to being in conflict. And that's what I love about the scene is it's not just an action scene. It is very much driven by what's happening in the story that you just don't know yet.
1: Right, which is the brilliance of the first two X-Men movies I think and and something that was sorely missed in some of the sequels, but the whole subtext is there right from the get-go. The action is being driven by the story. Like you're saying, it's a great action sequence, but it it the 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 cherry on top of that action sequence is that at the end of that you have the, the what is it, the mutant freedom now like that drive, the paranoia of the government of society, that fear is what drives the rest of the plot, and that kicks everything off. And uh, it's just, it it is such, uh, throughout this movie, more so than the first one, you feel the action and the plot and the characters go much more organically together. It feels like, I mean, Singer was really cutting his teeth. He'd never done a big action movie before on the first one. And this one, you feel him really, like, he's kind of settling in. He's like, all right, I like this. I feel more comfortable. I feel more in my element and i think that also freed him up freed him up a little bit to not look at the set pieces as like okay we need set pieces and then we have the story they both really organically go together in this movie in a way that is extremely satisfying and you kind of see its influence in other movies later on as well
0: and i think that's something that's so
1: important you know um
0: and and i think honestly that is one of the things that um i would say in the uh the star trek movies with um that JJ Abrams did especially the first one the action told the story yeah if you're yeah. paying attention the action is helping tell the story and and so the same thing i do think really happens in these movies that um, anytime that there is an action sequence it's it's there's something happening with some of the characters you know whether it's you know when they're in the the X jet and you're getting story that's happening with uh, you know what's going on with uh, Gene Gray and you go. What's going on with the kids that are in there? Um, you know, like none of this is is just let's throw in a really cool action sequence because it'll be amazing. Um, mm. You know, even the the. I mean, to spoil it, of uh, course this movie's you know two thousand fifteen years yeah, old. Get it. Can you yeah. believe that? It's I it's couldn't insane. believe that.
1: I realized as I was watching, I was like, wait a second, we're almost at the fifteenth anniversary of this thing. That's nuts. But
0: you know, you think of of uh, the. The fight with Wolverine and Lady Deathstrike, you know, it's a great action sequence, right? But it also is helping tell the story of
1: Wolverine.
0: Right. You know, and I love, oh
1: my gosh, it's, it's, and that, that sequence is, is amazing. First of all, we get Wolverine unleashed to this movie like we never have before. And it was great because you almost expected them to pull their punches a little bit because it's a PG-13 movie. Obviously, we're not getting into Logan levels of violence, but there is a level of like, oh, Wolverine's taking out people. He's going full on Berserker Rage. And that scene in particular, it's amazing to me sometimes that it got a PG-13 rating because it's so brutal with what they're able to get away with. But like you said, that that moment, that scene is also punctuated by this really heartbreaking moment where Strike kind of comes into, she she comes back to reality. And she has that moment where she's like, what just happened? Oh my God, I'm I'm dying. I'm, you killed me. Yeah, And it, it, it's every Brian Singer what I loved about his work with the first two movies is he he's not never too far from punctuating his scenes with moments like that very small character moments this movie has a lot of beautiful moments between the action between the plot points where you can sense another director less comfortable with kind of taking things slow and letting the audience kind of find the emotional somebody like Brett Ratner maybe I know Ah! be just maybe but it, that's what made that hurt all the more because i remember x-men one and two felt like a very felt like a film school to me it felt like this is how you make a movie and make it feel like uh elegant but also how you can fill a movie with with subtext and and emotional beats like the moment where uh john aka pyro is when they go to bobby's house and he's just looking yeah. at the uh, the photos on the wall a family like he he's never had a family he doesn't know what that's like he can't You sense that longing and it's like it's a brief moment you get the sense like this could have been cut out of the movie but you lose so much of John's character and you lose that there's a melancholy that still runs through this that was in the first movie and you have the fun of the movie this is way more fun than the first one it's way it's looser the jokes hit better but at the same time you never lose that sense of of, uh, drama and seriousness that was in the first movie.
0: Well, and I think what you're talking about there is something that's really interesting to me because there's this whole thing of it's a blessing and a curse in the film uh, and, and, and the idea of what it means to be a mutant. And, you know, it could be a huge blessing to be one with the cool things that you can do, but it can also be a terrible curse. One, it could cost you your family, possibly uh, two you could be like Rogue and not be able to ever touch anyone. I mean, (laughs) it's just, there. there's this real sense that this movie deals with these powers in a way that um, allows you to experience what it would be like to be one of these characters, but not in a cheesy way, but in a way that bases them in reality that honestly, I don't know if we had seen done as well until, I mean, I I think of, uh, you know, uh, Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I, I personally think that's what they do with um the, the reality of what it means to be Clark Kent in Man of Steel. Like, mm. what do you do with these powers? How do people react to me? You know, like that's what they're doing here is, yeah. is, is uh, and I think it's just, it's nice because the movie is taking its world seriously. And therefore, as you watch it, it's not a joke. You are caught up in the drama of what it means to be these people. Um, and it makes you feel for them, which makes you care about what happens to them as you move through the movie. And, and Singer does a great job of making that happen for you.
1: Yeah, he, uh, X-Men 1, if there's any complaint I could lobby against it, it felt way too serious. It almost felt a little like it was scared to have fun. There's a lot of subtext in it about the civil rights and things like that he brings all that subtext into this movie. There's even kind of the allusion to uh, homosexuality, like uh, Bobby coming out to his family. Oh, I'm a mutant. You know, that kind of, have you tried not being a mutant? All that stuff is there, but uh, this feels like, uh, it does feel like a comic book movie. Like he, he found an incredible way to meld those two worlds and to not necessarily get rid of the themes by like he, he was able to fit in the, the more, um, not cartoonish, but the more comic book level action and superhero stuff that I think he was maybe a little gun shy with in the first one. But he melds it so well with the character beats and the moments that you're able to get those set pieces with that undercurrent and that subtext. But you also, X-Men 2 kicked the action up to a whole new level for superhero movies. I still think this stands as one of the best I mean I I, it's definitely it's hard now with Marvel's cinematic universe to rank these superhero movies because they almost now have their own categories but like X-Men 2 I feel like if I were to look at it it's still probably like a top five top ten at least for for me and so much of that just comes from the crowd pleasing element of it like the X-Mansion scene you have these great, great moments of, you know, Colossus coming out. You have Wolverine. Like I said, he goes nuts and he takes out a bunch of guys and that's great. But then you add to it the, the beauty of that moment where he sees Stryker. He meets Stryker for the first time, uh, played by Brian Cox, who I absolutely love in this movie. And that moment of Logan's like, who are you? Why, how do you know me? And then Bobby cuts him off to save him. But you have that beautiful shot of Wolverine kind of reaching up to the ice and the shadow, the silhouette of Stryker reaching back to him. That, that followed one of the best action sequences I think I've seen in, in a superhero movie and maybe in any action movie. You have this quiet moment of just like this, this visual beauty. And uh, I love that. And I, I, love, I love what Singer was able to do there and to th- that he felt the confidence to really go for it with the action that he didn't feel ashamed of that either
0: yeah no I, I mean I really agree with you and I, I think it, it's it's something that uh, again, as we were talking earlier, the the thematic elements in the action meld together to tell a cohesive tale in this film and that's what makes it so cool is that if they're not divorced from one another, you don't hit the action sequences think, oh well, here we are at the action sequence and right you know you get lost in the action and then, and then they slow it down to get back to the story, no they really go together. And I think, you know, that's something kind of talking about all these action pieces. The thing of that, this is coming down to is that it's a war is coming between humanity and mutants. If they don't find a way to stop it. And that what I thought was so interesting is that this is ratcheted up by striker, but that Eric is willing to finish and use the same tools to do the exact same thing, which was fascinating to me because the very first movie, as we talked about, starts off with this like very melancholy, very like hard-to-watch scene of Jews being led into and in, in families separated in the Holocaust. But in the end, both of these men are willing to do the same thing that right. we found so horrible watching in the first movie and everybody thinks, oh, that's the worst thing ever. We never want to see that happen again. But these two guys are basically making that happen.
1: And what really makes that work is because it's not a cartoonish, like, I want to rid the world of mutants. You understand Stryker's frustrations and his anger. And at the same time, you understand Eric's frustrations and his anger. It's it's they They've had horrible, horrible experiences that have led them to do terrible things. Things that are not justified in any way, but you understand why. With Eric especially, he's seen the terrible things that can happen to a, a group of people who have been ostracized and, and marginalized and put in a corner and, and enslaved. He's seen the pain of that. He's experienced it firsthand, and he doesn't. He's, he's done. He doesn't want history to repeat itself. Beyond that, he's been imprisoned, and he has been essentially tortured and beaten on a regular basis and he is done. And you just get the sense when he comes into Cerebro and he's like, uh, 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 uh no, I am done. You tried to wipe us out. You know what? Let's just turn the tables. I'm, I'm through with this. And that's just what turn makes the Cerebro movie, Exactly. Turn the Cerebro. <laughs> it, but it's like, that's what makes the move. That's what makes it work. It's not a like, ha ha ha. I will now rule the world. It's a very, personal there is a strong personal and understandable motivation for these villains and that's what makes a movie for me if you can get behind what your villains are saying Even if you don't agree, uh, like, oh, yeah, I want the Joker to go around and blow up everybody and things like that. But if you can understand where he's coming from, that, to me, makes it more effective and more terrifying overall and and only increases the quality of the film. And I feel like uh, Singer and his team, they did such a great job here with really fleshing it out and giving those guys backstories that make sense and motivations that really drive their their the plot for.
0: Well, and, and it connects with, you know, the first movie. And I think that it does really well. this whole idea of what you will do when you are fearful of the other side. Yeah. And there's this anger there, um, you know, and part of that, you know, with Striker, he is angry because his son couldn't be quote unquote cured of mutancy. Uh, and that the inevitable of what his son's mutation was, Was going to lead to something like this. Um, And instead of seeing his son as a person, he just kind of starts to see him as a thing to use Mm. to enact this vengeance on mutant kind in general. And I just, I I thought that that was, when you're looking at that, you know, Eric is on the other side of that, who's been mistreated and abused in my humanity. So, it's basically,
1: in a way, he's kind of uh, the justice for Stryker's son. That Jason, yeah, Jason yeah. can't. Uh, Jason has been kind of chewed up and spit out, and has this one thing to offer his father. And Eric is kind of the righteous justice for that. Like he, he feels that it's his duty to be the justice for that. To to be the judge, jury, and executioner on behalf of mutants like Jason, who are are just completely dismissed and thrown aside well,
0: and, and what's so fascinating too about the whole thing is that these two they're continuing the war because they're just ratcheting up the tension you know they're, they're doing nothing to assuage the fear that the rest of the world has on both sides um, and, and I think that's what's so interesting is that they just continue to keep building and building and building until it's ready to explode and they're really the cause of that They're the cause of the thing that they're trying to prevent, basically.
1: Right, and that's that's the whole thing, and that's you know the, the X Men are basically the mediator, trying to be the mediator between these two opposing groups because they're Xavier and his students are trying to be the conversation. That these two sides refuse to have because the two sides are like, no, 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 no. You you guys, the mutants, you're going to blow us up. You are going to take us over. They're fearful because it's basically uh, survival of the fittest situation. These guys are the next step of evolution. We're going to be wiped out. And on the other end, mutants are like, uh, we're being murdered and uh, torn apart and discriminated against. Uh, we're that's not going to happen to us. We have superpowers. Screw all of you. And uh, the X Men are in the middle. Like guys, let's just talk. Like let's just sit down and talk about it. Um, let's just please try to work together to make this work. And it's uh, it's the X Men have always done a really amazing job of uh, more so than others because the X Men by. Looking at the mutants in this kind of way, it's allowed for the subtext of the like race relations or or racism, uh, uh, homophobia, any issues like that, any social issues like that to really creep into the subtext of this. And X Men operates in a very gray area where it's hard to find a genuine right or wrong, which is always what I you know what I loved about the the best X Men movies is they really explore that that there is. The The hope is that you would be able to find a peaceful solution, that these two sides can find somewhere to meet in the middle. But the, the reality is there's kind of a cynicism to the X-Men universe where you feel like this is just a battle that's going to go on and on and on because these two sides absolutely refuse to communicate with one another or to try to understand each other
0: you're saying what we have here is a
1: failure to communicate. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying.
0: Um, you know, I, I had a question for you because as we're talking about this idea of like this war and these sides, do you wonder if that the creators of the X-Men actually thought about the idea that the X itself
1: is a symbol which brings points together? I don't think, and this is with all due respect to Stan Lee, who I, I mean, he's the man, Stan the man. I don't think he had the slightest idea. You can tell with a (laughs) lot of these early comics, I think Spider-Man being the exception, Stan Lee... I I can just see, I love listening to him talk about how he's like, well, I saw a fly crawling on the wall and I thought, what if there was a guy who could climb on walls? With X-Men, I don't think he had the the slightest clue other than like, oh, X-Men, they're weird and people don't like them. I, I think it wasn't until Chris Claremont came in and kind of saw the illusions there that I think Stan Lee maybe subconsciously was putting into it. I don't think it was till Claremont came in and started to kind of like, oh, okay, wait a second, I see something here. There's a Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, like I, 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 I see what's happening here. Maybe Stanley didn't see it, but I see it. Um, but th- that whole X thing, I love that. I, I, I don't think even even Claremont, I don't think he saw that. But it's true that it all comes down to that, and it all comes back to that. X Men really centers around that. There are a lot of. And I love that X Men Two. The villain teams up with the good guy. I mean, uh, uh, Magneto teams up with the good guys for a bit. Where it's like, yeah, there's never a clean. It's it's never like this guy is bad. This guy is good. They can meet in the middle where they're when their uh, missions align, which is really interesting
0: align. because it will come. That will really come to fruition in Days of Future Past.
1: Yes, which is exactly really nice. Yeah, and, and Days of the Future Past was nice cuz it was kind of like Singer was like, "Okay, no nah, no nah, nah, Here's my X-Men 3. Just sit back and relax. Yeah. I'll I'll try to clean up this stuff." <laughs> Let mess. me bring
0: that and everything else first class wise all together.
1: Right, exactly. So. so, I um one of the things about Days of Future Past that I was so excited about that was birthed in X-Men 2 is John Ottman's score, his theme. Mhm. I, we talk about the opening to this movie and how the Nightcrawler scene is great, but even before that, you have Xavier's opening narration. But that opening credits where Ottman's score comes in with that like amazing theme, I just could, I get this rush every time I watch it. Uh, it's just like, oh man, this is like, this feels way more like exciting. I, I I love that. I love that singer was able to bring that back when he came What's back for Days of Future too Past. Is-
0: his score, I was listening to um, the other day, and there are refrains that he will actually use in Superman Returns. <laughs>
1: that doesn't surprise so, me. Which happens to all the composers. I mean, John Williams did it.
0: like uh Like, Goldsmith did it. Uh, Horner was famous for it. So, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, you know, this is the movie that starts us on the road to Dark Phoenix. mm and i wanted to ask you how you feel like they handled that story and and specifically i mean we're going to in the middle of the podcast we're going to kind of talk about the end too because that's really where it comes to light that this is what's hap this is where singer's going um what did you think about that here
1: so i uh part of the reason cuz i know i know the nerd community kind of has a love hate relationship with the x-men movies because especially these first two Because of the limitations of what they were able to do, because of what Singer wanted to do, they couldn't quite introduce all the characters the way certain fans wanted them to be introduced. Characters like Rogue especially get the short end of the stick. It feels like there is a limitation in that regard. I I came to these movies without... the the, without the knowledge of the comics so I went into it knowing who the characters were I'd seen the animated series but I was able to enjoy it and kind of like see it as its own story I I, and to this day even going back and reading X-Men comics I still go back to the movies and I'm still like I love this stuff with Dark Phoenix I was vaguely aware of that storyline from the comics but I wasn't uh, so tied into it or so married to it that I needed it to play out a certain way I was excited because it was like, oh, I see what's going on here. I know I've heard of this story and I see where they're going with it. And this is kind of cool. And I and I love that they kind of Wrath of Khan at the end with the, her sacrificing herself and then literally doing the narration from the first movie. It was all like, oh, OK, this is Wrath of Khan. But uh, I, I loved that. And I loved the last shot of the kind of the phoenix in the water, this idea of. Oh, there's some. There, this is like a promise for something greater on the horizon. I uh, I thought they handled it fine in, in in the context of the film. I thought it was handled really well. I love that they tied it into the whole uh, uh, Statue of Liberty incident. Like it wasn't like X Men One took place isolated from these events. They were like, no, that incident in particular is what kind of awakened these new powers in Jean, and now she's struggling with it. Um, all the all the whatever the origins in the comics are aside, uh, that didn't really wasn't on my mind. I, I liked that it, there was a struggle for her, that she had these new powers that she was trying to understand and that they were able to kind of fit in the Phoenix reference. It, it, it worked for me and I, I still love it and I still love watching it and pretending that X-Men three was directed by Brian Singer and that we got a way better Phoenix movie than we did. One of the things, that,
0: so I really, I enjoy the fact that they were going for this in, in this movie one of the things that I was struck by, though, at the very end was there's no reason for her to die. <laughs> and that's because I was like, why doesn't Iceman just turn all that water into ice?
1: Yeah, it was, it was very... I I, there there are a couple things where they I know they're like when Nightcrawler's like she's not letting me get her. I was like, okay thank you, script writers, for trying to figure out, like, how can we make this make sense? Her sacrificing herself. And it felt more like I can see the motivation. I can see how you could justify it as like she feels like she may be losing control. Maybe she feels like this is for the best. She's the only one who can do it. It works so well as an emotional beat that I'm like I love this I I'm not going to think about it too much but it's true it, it's definitely like they were like we needed a big emotional moment I mean I'm not I'm not kidding Brian Singer probably watched The Wrath of Khan and was like I need that moment in my movie and they just put the ending yeah. of The well, Wrath and, of Khan and I I
0: I I think I I just wish that there had been some more because I was thinking back to this again, just story-wise, I wish that there had been more in the film to show her kind of being, like you were saying, maybe unstable, so that there's that feeling of, this is what I need to do, because, like, in The Wrath of Khan, there is no other way. This is the only way, and there's mm-hmm. nobody else who can do it. It's gotta be Spock. He knows it. He, You know, like, this... There are too many other options, so I don't feel like this is necessary. (laughs) So that, and and I just that just came in this watch where I would I realized story point wise, this isn't actually necessary for her to die. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's because you have too many people that, well, literally, you just have Iceman who can you've seen him turn anything
1: (laughs) into ice, and this is all just water. I I would, you know, I would argue Iceman, they they. They paint the idea that he's not quite, uh, doesn't have full control. He's just over not his quite powers. cool enough yet. He, he's not cool enough. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I like it. Uh, but you know, he's young. He's still like you know, he can he can ice up a coke, but he can't like, and he can make a wall of ice. But maybe this is something too much for him. He can't. He's not necessarily that powerful. Um, I, I you know I think it really was. I think Singer just needed an excuse to kind of like Jean's going to sacrifice herself. She, we've been building up to this idea that something inside her is about to awaken. I can see what was driving it. I see the ideas like she needs to sacrifice herself because maybe she's terrified of what she's becoming. That will also actually end up inadvertently unlocking this monster. Her sacrificing herself is going to lead into the third movie. It would have been so much better if the third movie had been able to pay that off. Yeah. But um, So what you're it's, saying it's, is... I get the, what you're saying. The ex-awakens... The X—that's what we need. Yeah, that's what we need. That's, that's what basically have been what called. Days of Future
0: Past, <laughs> the, the, the X Awakens. But no, yes. I, yeah, I—I just—it was something that I just never thought about. And I think part of it is yeah. just I'm older, and of course, have been doing this a long time now for like just talking about films and like the idea of of writing. Um, it just had never occurred to me. But then I was like, yeah, yeah there's just something. But and I think part of that too is knowing how it doesn't pay off. Yeah. And it's just I like think that.
1: I, yeah. My justification for it would be Iceman's not fully confident in his powers. Professor X is weakened. Jean Grey probably was like, I got to go in and do it. It's like, well, Storm, maybe Storm could create a tornado to some. Yeah, that's what and, I was you thinking. Know, just
0: the, a water spout, you know? I mean, Storm yeah. does nothing. Let's just be honest. She's Let's kind be honest. Of well,
1: <laughs> she is. It's, it's, I love, like, it, the first time you see her, it's like, oh, where'd the accent go? Thank goodness it's gone because, man, that was a struggle in the first movie. Yeah, it was not fun to watch. And Halle Berry, she'd, she'd gotten her. Had she gotten her Oscar yet? I think she had for for Monster's Ball. Yeah, she I was honestly like can't right so. cuz I I remember watching X-Men 2 and it wasn't as obnoxious as it gets in X-Men the Last Stand but like there was a sense like oh Storm has a couple extra scenes. She seems a little bit more important for some reason and it was like well it must be cuz she Halle Berry had <laughs> just won an Oscar.
0: Well I, so so speaking of Halle Berry um I I would say that her best scene I think is when she is talking to Nightcrawler and they have the conversation about anger oh, yeah. and faith, um, and which is better at keeping you alive. And I just I really resonated with that conversation because what we kind of see in the movie is that anger leads to what Eric and Stryker do. Um, and Nightcrawler's ability to say, No, we need to have faith in one another, and maybe faith in something else beyond us um i thought was really strong um and it and, yeah. and 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 what was great about it is that it's not just a conversation to spout a theme but then what you see is that that play out then yeah
1: it pays off at the end when when she is like you know i have faith in you that you can do this thing cuz you know he's nervous he's like i can't teleport in there i can't see and she pays off their conversation by basically saying like i i believe you can do this um, but it's a beautiful moment. This this movie is full of moments like that where, it, it, and they they treat Nightcrawler because it, it's funny in a movie that deals with like mutants and all this kind of cynical stuff to have a character that's very uh, very strong, like Catholic, like you know things like that. There's you almost wonder it's like oh are they gonna treat it cynically? But they treat it so sincerely, as they do with all the characters, very respectfully, very sincerely. And that conversation is is a really beautiful moment between this guy who, despite everything he's going through, still holds on to his faith and this woman who is kind of seen the worst humanity has to offer and doesn't see, like, you know, what, what what can we do about it? So it's a great moment where they kind of meet in the middle and, like you said, it, it pays off at the end when he has his crisis of, of faith at the end.
0: Well, I, I like it because, you know, the movie also... In that, you know, you're showing how these different mutants may be pulled to one side or the other and what could possibly pull them to one side or the other. And, you know, we see that with Pyro. We see that with Storm here. We see that with um, Nightcrawler. And I just think that that's, that's nice to be able to show how... People make the decisions that they make on kind of what side they're going to fall on things because of what their experience is. And I, again, I just thought I thought it it's it's just another layer here that we're adding to the movie with yeah. the 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 themes that Singer is using. And it's just it was a like you said, it's a nice quiet moment between characters. But I, I also like thought it was something that just adds to the overall arching thematic element because with the idea of, of Eric and and um, Stryker, you, you're seeing that even play out within the quote-unquote X-Men, you know? Um, and I thought that was really neat.
1: Yeah, and the, I mean, it's, it's very, um, the film is full of quiet moments like that. Like, another one of my favorite is another Nightcrawler moment, but when Nightcrawler is talking with Mystique and he's like, you can look like anyone you want, why don't you? And she says, because we shouldn't have to. Again, a moment that I feel like you have a producer who's like, "Where's the? Why is not anything exploded? It's been five minutes." And you know, I, I love that singer keeps these moments in there because it gives uh, the melancholy of these these first two X Men movies is is so beautiful and adds this kind of elegance to it and this kind of. Uh, this this emotional vibe but like you forget like you i think you mentioned this earlier but you forget that these, this is a curse like these people are suffering and they there is a, a desire to fit in but at the same time why should they have to conform to these standards at all uh and lots of, i mean the, the themes are constantly coming up in really great ways through the action we get great character moments but through the conversation we get really great variations of the theme of the movie
0: well, and and speaking just kind of on those some of those smaller moments and that create kind of jive with these themes, you know that scene. I really like the scene with uh, Mystique and Wolverine in the tent, yeah. because uh, it, as kind of like you know, obviously it's kind of a sexy scene, but it's so much more than that because she really is challenging him. What is mm. it that you want? You know, yeah. um, because Wolverine is a character who doesn't quite know exactly what he wants. Um, and it's interesting to see Mystique kind of challenge that in him, you know, and, and what's interesting too, is that to kind of offer, look, I, I, the idea, like I could be with you. So there is yeah. something that is in front of you that isn't complicated, but that's, what is it that you want? Do you just want complicated for complicated sake? Or is there real motion there with what you think you have with Jean or, You know, because honestly, I will say the one weakness is the love
1: triangle in the film. (laughs) Yeah, which is in the comics. To be fair, that is there. But it's tough because I love cyclops so much and i love james marsden so much he gets the short end of the stick he does in like every movie and if you watch westworld it's there's almost a gag in westworld that kind of references the fact that james marsden is always dying or getting left out it's great um but i was really hoping again x-men 2 sets up x-men 3 to be cyclops's movie and, uh you know these movies have, are very Wolverine centric um Cyclops I you know a lot of people are, oh he's lame he's he's the boys it's a lot of the same stuff I hear people apply to Superman that I'm like guys but you can tell the right story like you know it, it it's x-men 3 would have been the great opportunity to give Cyclops his due and give James Mars an opportunity to perform um I, I the love triangle is fun I I like that Wolverine has a relationship with Gene gray it's it's hard because you don't get a lot of you sense that Jean Grey likes him, but you don't get a lot of moments that justify her feeling like her, her romantic feelings for him.
0: Well, there's a scene, too, that they cut out Um, it, the, the scene where they kind of kiss and everything. There's a moment there that's longer um, and they showed it in the extras where she says she talks about how, you know, you 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 have fun with the bad guy. The bad
1: boy, but you don't take him home. You don't marry him. No, that that is in the oh, movie. it is. The she movie? goes. She okay, goes. Yeah, you. she goes. I. uh She's like. Yeah. I'm. I'm. i married to the good guy, and and Wolverine kind of has that sweet moment where he's like, I, I could be the good guy. Um, okay. I, I like so that. Just I
0: totally you... blinked. I don't know why. What in the <laughs> heck? I just watched this movie. You
1: were like, man, I wish yeah. I was making out with Hugh Jackman. It's I mean, probably what, huh? what it was, honestly. <laughs> um, but uh, I love that. I I love. Again, it's a really sweet moment. Uh that's what sells that relationship for me is is that you feel as tough as Wolverine is Hugh Jackman plays it so well and so sincerely that you do feel there's a, there's genuine feelings there yeah. that he does feel something sincere for her. It's beyond like oh, Famke Janssen is just beautiful. He does have this sincere attraction to her that goes beyond the surface.
0: Well, and I, I, I I I and I part of that I think is that he sees in her that kind of, um, I don't know. I think he sees maybe the wildness in her that she doesn't see just yet. Yeah, you know. So and there's this, uh, there's the that kind of attraction there. The same way that she sees in him that wildness, right? Um, possibly. So I don't know. It, it it's not the strongest part of the movie for me, but um, I enjoy the characters. You know, um, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the things that's interesting about this movie is them introducing some new mutants, and so. Um, What did you think of uh, the introduction and the storyline we get for Pyro?
1: I mean, I think it was great. Again, Pyro, they organically introduce a lot of these characters. They all serve a purpose in the story. They all have a really unique function. Pyro's function story-wise is to show the flip side of the argument, A, a character who is part of... You don't really have... Wolverine's always been conflicted, but as far as Xavier's students... A lot of them are just kind of like, yeah, we agree. We like this. We don't really get a character who starts off in that group and then kind of is like, you know what? Screw this. I don't like this. I'm going to go to this other side because I agree more with them. Pyro is perfect to be that conflicted student who starts off uh, believing one thing and kind of questioning it. And he's, you know, at the beginning, he's kind of got this rebellious little streak, but like he does start off with the good guys and end up with the bad guys. Um And I love that, because the whole movie is kind of like, whose side are you on? Which side is the more justified? Who is doing the right thing? There is no easy answer, and characters have to ask themselves that question. And he's the only one of that group uh, who's part of the X-Men who says, ah, you know what, I'm fed up with this, and I'm going to go over here. And uh, it works. It's great. And like I said, I love the moment when they're at Bobby's house, and he's being kind of a brat. But also you get the, the sincere moments where you see that there's a heart there. That he doesn't have a family, he kind of he, he doesn't have that in his life, and he longs for that. And I think Magneto kind of extending his hand and saying like, "Join us, and you will be a part of our family," is what attracts him there. And again, it, it's Pyro is a character that I think everybody wanted to see. We, I mean, he he shoots fireballs; that's awesome. But like again, this it's a very organic story device that he he plays a specific function and has an arc.
0: I like that within the character you have, it's like he's part Eric and he's
1: part Logan.
0: Yeah. You know, and you put those two characters together and, and he, so he makes the different choice than Logan does, you know, but he has a lot of the same upbringing as something like Eric. So you, you've got a connection between those two characters. And, and it, it, again, what I thought was interesting is, and something that kind of talked about in the extras was having the younger class, allowed you to play out some of those themes on a different level. And so, you know, Pyro also having the the, the love triangle basically where Art the, you know, he longs for Rogue and you know, he he's you know, he didn't really like Iceman, you know, and all that. Right. So, I mean, you have that whole you have layers upon layers of, of similar stories happening so that they kind of reinforce everything that's going on. And, and I think that's one of the things that makes it really nice with somebody like, and a character like Pyro in introducing them. You, you could tell that the writers had done a very good job of, okay, we're picking these specific mutants in their storylines because it flows with everything that else that we're trying to do. It's not just, oh, well, right. wouldn't it be cool if we had
1: this mutant? Mm, exactly. X-Men 3. Yes, exactly. So, But it's also, you know, it's funny, and you, you mentioned, you know, because Bobby and Rogue and uh, and John, they all have their kind of story. They're the little trio. But what's interesting is Rogue is the least developed of the three. Yeah. And, I mean, that carries, that carries over into the third movie. And she had, uh, part of that, I think, maybe was in the first movie, she was kind of one of the main characters. She had a more complete arc. Maybe they felt like, oh, in the second one, she can just kind of be there. But it's interesting that, I, I, that may be the justification for it because Bobby and John have very defined character arcs, but Bobby gets the really nice moment at home where he uh, has that coming out moment and you, you kind of s- sense his, his sadness, that kind of tragedy there that he these this isn't his family anymore and he can't go home again. But Rogue is kind of just along for the ride. She she doesn't really serve much of a, uh, you know, she does yeah, a couple things yeah. to help out, but she doesn't serve much of a plot purpose, which is not a knock against her. I mean, she's fine in the movie, but it is funny that out of the three, it seems like John and Bobby have very defined well, characters.
0: And her character is such a hard one to use her powers, you know, like. Yeah, it is. It, and they find
1: they find clever ways to do it, like when she saves the day yeah. with uh, with pyro going nuts on the cops but then it's i i know i hate to talk about x-men 3 a lot of i think the dis- any disappointment that comes from x-men 2 is really just driven by what happened to this to this series when x-men 3 came out and in that movie when she's like i gave up my powers and you're like well that negates everything that you've been learning throughout the first two movies about living with the curse and all that stuff so I think that's part of it is that we didn't get to see her pay off in the third movie. So you really feel the lack of her character in this movie all the more. Yeah.
0: I have to say, uh, I, I remember really enjoying this and I, I still do, you know, the, the whole lady death strike and what's kind of so oh, cool yeah. is how they just keep that hidden. They keep it hidden. They keep it hidden. They keep it hidden until the right moment to reveal it. And of course, you know,
1: they have the epic fight, um, right. And and Hugh Jack the Wolverine punchline, where he's like, holy, yeah. I, the audience. I, I mean, it, like I said, this was the first movie I went to in theaters where it was like people were cheering and la- like very interactive. I mean, the audience went nuts. It's a moment that still the moment cracks me up because Hugh Jackman's delivery is just pitch perfect. But in the back of my mind, I'm just remembering the audience reaction to that line because it is so perfect. Uh, it, it, the the build and the co- comedic beat, the timing of it is just brilliant. It's so good.
0: What makes her an interesting character, I, I think, is what you said: is that you know, for her death, the moment that she is coming out of, yeah, being under the influence of this this drug, and also then realizing what's happening to her. And I mean, I can't imagine a worse way to die than being pumped full of animantium. <laughs>
1: You've been a slave, you've been controlled by this guy, you're a slave trying to destroy mutants, you don't have free will of your own, you cannot control yourself, and then you're you fighting this guy to the death, but you can't control it, and then you awaken to find like, oh, alright, see ya everybody, it's so sad, it's like, you know... We, we've said it before. We'll say it again. But it's like a, a moment where you feel the, the, the emotional beat there. Beyond the action, there is a sadness. There's a tragedy to yeah. it. It's not just like, all oh, right, Wolverine killed somebody. That's awesome. It's like he killed this uh, essentially innocent person mm. who wasn't in control of her actions. I
0: mean, you feel the weight of the animantium is really what you it the is way,
1: the literal the literal weight of the moment yeah. when she clumps on the bottom I mean, of that. It's, it's a
0: it, it's it's not subtle
1: the weight of the moment you know it's so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true it's true well, maybe they went a little too far there
0: no i just i i think it's funny because i i don't know if we just kind of think in those terms right but when you when right. you, you think through the thematic <laughs> element of what's going on and why they're doing it it is yeah it's really it's good you know so yeah um and you know Sometimes you need to be a, a little bit more overt. So, uh, I I have to say too, you know, um, one of the the joys of the movie is Nightcrawler. Oh yeah, and Alan Cummings, he's just amazing. He's so good. He's so good, and the way that he's able to emote through all the makeup that he has on, I know, is, and it, it's it's so. I mean, he's just that that kind of character that I, I love how they're able to portray somebody who's had the worst life, but still finds a way to hold on to good. Um, and obviously, you know, he was somebody who's being controlled too, because, and he didn't, he couldn't help it. So I just, it it creates such a fascinating, wonderful, fun character to have. And then he gets one of the best moments, a couple of the best moments in the movie, action wise and,
1: um, just emotionally. Yeah, it's, character yeah. beats are great, and and I mean, coming is great as Nightcrawler. Very, very sincere, heartfelt performance uh, in a movie full of them. But like, he's kind of the new kid on the block. So, but he he jumps right in full force, and it's it's great. And I, I, I the future X Men movies really miss Alan Cumming, I will say that much. Uh, it, I, I it's a shame that they introduced such a rich, thoughtful character. And we never see him again. I mean, you get him in in Apocalypse, but it's not Alan Cumming. It's a younger kid who I think is great. But uh, you know, it, it's it's. I really missed him in X Men Three, and I was I was yeah. hoping we might see him in Days of Future Past. But you know, eh, whatever, whatever. You can't get all everything you want. So, but he he's wonderful in this movie. He's kind of the he feels like the heart of this movie. To be honest,
0: no, I think you're right. I think you're right because I I do feel like he drives the the emotional center of the movie and the and the struggle of what everybody's going through he's just found a way to already be okay with Mm. things um and now he's found a way to be able to uh help you know like that's been his goal i think is to be able to find a way to help he'd just been used before and now yeah um, and i think that's something that's really interesting too and, and we really haven't talked about it much but um the idea of how You've got it. Xavier on one side and Stryker on the other, and, and it, it's the way that you deal with people. Xavier creates family. Stryker uses people. Yeah. I think that, that's another really interesting thing, and it's also interesting because in some ways, Eric is somebody who's a bit more of a user yeah. as well. I mean, he does care about Mystique. There is that relationship there, which we don't necessarily understand yet, but they seem mm. to have a very close, but the rest of them, yeah, I mean, he just uses sabertooth right I mean yeah you know, it's all about yeah.
1: exploiting for his for his selfish needs, his motivation, where Xavier wants to bring everybody together, he wants to teach them compassion, they're a family i mean it's beyond yeah. just being a a team of superheroes, they are a family, and they care about each other, and I think that's what gives them the edge because if what are you fighting for if you're just fighting for a cause it's I mean fighting for someone you love or something you really genuinely care about is or someone you care about gives you kind of an edge in a way
0: yeah no I totally agree and and what I think it does too is it shows thematically what the difference between and why you know um put it cheesily you know love wins you know like that 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 the idea of actually caring about other people other than ourselves is what makes this all worth it um and 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 makes one side you know better than the other because intrinsically Mm -hmm. we know that to be i mean you know we, we live in a world that doesn't love the idea of moral absolutes but we know that it's not just about me like yeah even if we don't live like that all the time, we somehow there's something in us that knows that idea. And and that's what the X-Men represent. It's not just about us. We're trying to benefit everyone. So I, right. I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, and Xavier is always willing to extend an olive branch to Eric. Yeah. Like there's never, a, he's still showing that same compassion, even as Eric is kind of like, eh, no. But they have, I mean, the relationship between Eric and Xavier is one of the most fascinating in comic in all of comics it's a it's a beautiful relationship because it's one of the few i feel like we have where it's like these these arch rival like lex Luthor and superman aren't best friends i know smallville kind of tried to do that uh so technically uh, yes okay but i'm talking about like in general superman and lex Luthor were not painted as best friends from the start whereas xavier and magneto that's the bulk of their comic life. Is they have that relationship, that very complicated love for each other, and that friendship that's just kind of been twisted through their their differing ideals.
0: Kind of coming down to the end. Um, do you feel like? How do you feel like this movie holds up? And then, if you had to rate it, kind of
1: now, uh, what do you rate? You know, X two.
0: X Men United.
1: I, you know, I might have to knock off a star for that title. No, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> but I, I think, <laughs> I think it, honestly, I, I return to this movie every couple years or so, and it, it still works for me. Everything about it works, and I, it's interesting. I can't separate myself from it. I feel like with the, the latest Marvel movies, everything is so bombastic and huge and amazing and da da da. And X Men Two reminds me of a time when superhero movies. Part of what I think makes it work is that X-Men 1 was so subtle that the action was relatively muted. And it gives you somewhere to go in X-Men 2. We have new characters to explore, new action to explore. It makes it that much more effective. And when you have something like the Avengers 1, 2, 3, they saved the world again and again. It's like you can only go so big so many times before it just starts to dilute a little bit. That doesn't change how excited I am for you know Infinity War and all that stuff. But going back to X-Men 2 and watching it again... I'd be interested to see how someone watching it for the first time in this like oversaturated environment with like insane movies with crazy special effects and any action you can dream of would react to it. Um, I think it holds up, and part of the reason it holds up is because it feels like, man, what a forgotten era of superhero filmmaking when it was character and story that really was emphasized over the need to be like, we have to top ourselves and we have to do this and this explosion and that and all that. The moments of quiet in the movie where it's just like the characters kind of sitting around the fire and camping and all that stuff, I love that. I love the melancholy. I love there are moments where it's allowed to breathe, where, again, you're not connecting it to a million other universes. You just have this self-contained story that um, sets itself up for an amazing sequel that we never got uh but i i love this movie it, it it's i love returning to it it's it's probably my favorite brian singer movie uh, yeah actually yeah it is um but it's one of my favorite superhero movies i admire it so much and it makes x-men 3 hurt all the more when you get that ending of x-men 2 and you're like man they really did not stick that landing i have to give it uh 5 out of 5 i um i i i love it i think it's great
0: you know i i really like what you were saying there because You know, when I think of the, like say the, the Marvel juggernaut that we have now, you know, I think what's, what's so interesting about that, um, and it's something that I was talking about with a friend of the show, John Mills, um, because we were just talking about, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, um, and, uh. You know, one of the things that a lot of the Marvel movies um, that aren't the mega film like Avengers, Civil War, you know, uh, a lot of times they can feel inconsequential Mm. uh, for what they do for their characters inside their own films. You know, like it's like, okay, it was good, but like it didn't really feel like a lot happened.
1: Yeah, they feel like in some ways again this I I want to make it clear I love the Marvel Cinematic Universe, don't get me wrong. I'm totally a fanboy about it. You can hear me on the Nerd Party on Filibuster with that whole marathon we're doing. You can hear me geek out about it. But there are movies I feel like outside of the Avengers movies and the Captain America movies that feel like it's just treading water. It's a yes, way to get yes, earn a, yes. to earn a buck uh and but in a continuing story the way they've kind of set it up this feels like a continuing story mm-hmm. and when you have a movie like civil war and you want to see what happens to those characters next a movie like spider-man homecoming that's completely separated from it it's kind of like okay great but yeah what's going on with that main story i want to find out yeah. what happens that's why i'm so excited for infinity war cuz you know mm-hmm. it, i'm i'm just ready to yeah, see it's where, that culmination you know, all
0: the s hits the fan yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know, it
1: with when you have like fifteen other movies outside your main storyline, it dilutes the effect of those movies. Yeah. I think subconsciously people are kind of thinking like, "Great, but what is happening with the Avengers and what's going right, on? with Captain right. America." Well, and, and that's
0: that the that's the I think the thing that uh, going back here and looking at these X Men films, you know the the fact that you're getting this continuing story with this group of people. Things of consequence obviously happened in this film, so by the end, it's different when you started.
1: You yeah. know, it's
0: way different. And so, and I think that there is another thing that is very smart in the sense that it's not coming out every two seconds. There's not a new <laughs> movie every three months, and uh, mm. there there's a there's something to be said for this idea of 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 allowing there to be time to breathe because first one comes out in 2000 this is 2003 and it it allows you to create good stories but then it also allows the 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 fan to long for you to be yeah. back in that universe again, and so you
1: miss it. it, it it's it, if someone's around you all the time, you're kind of like, okay, great, I like seeing you, but get out of my face. But you know, take a couple months off or a couple years off. All of a sudden, oh, oh my god, I, it, it's so great to see you again. Well, Let's catch up. You know, it, it, that's kind of what I miss in this day and age. Yeah. I, I love going back and watching like Sam Raimi's first two spider-man movies for the same reasons it's like you have this very self-contained story they were going somewhere again they didn't stick the landing with the third entry but regardless you have uh self-contained movies that are telling a story that are taking the characters to new levels in the sequel well and it's um, what
0: i think made uh you know obviously it's one of the reasons that everybody loves nolan's batman films because it's a exactly. self-contained complete story For me, personally, um, others may disagree, but it's one of the things that I have enjoyed about the the DC films that they have done because um, they don't come out every two seconds. Um, But also, too, um, those series, the the stories there are are very consequential for the characters that are in them, um, and it definitely leaves them different than when they came in. So, mm-hmm. the you know, whether you completely in- like them or not or whatever, the other part about it is that they're swinging for the fences. And I feel like by the time you got to X-Men 2, Singer and the group were swinging for the fences. Um, right. They're really trying to make something here. And, and to bring it all back around, all of this is to say, I think this movie still holds up because it understood how to not just make a sequel, to, but to kind of create that comic book feel of the series. You had the first movie. That's the trade paperback for that. This is the next trade paperback for this part of the story, and then Mm. you would hopefully, you know, you're hoping you go on and get more. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) But this here, it leaves you feeling satisfied that you've told a complete part of the story here, but you are still looking forward to what's going to happen next. But you Mm. don't feel in any way cheated. Um, I just I feel yep. com- like I I've, I've had a complete meal here. It doesn't even feel like fast food. This feels like yeah I went to Chili's, you know. <laughs> i
1: st- uh, like I got a starter, yeah, I got the meal, I exactly. got a dessert, I got the apps. I, I had some good conversation. Yeah, it was great. I had a
0: great beer. I mean you know, like this this feels <laughs> like that kind of thing. Uh, whereas a lot of what we getting we're getting today feels more like just it's just fast food. It's just cotton candy. Uh, it's in and out and it's done Um, but this feels more substantial and I love that about this film so I'd say this is a good 4 out of 5 stars because even now I feel like the storyline and everything they're doing still really hold up which is Mm. so fun to be able to go back and say yeah a movie that's 15 years old still holds water to everything that we're getting now that's the hallmark
1: of a good movie and and for the beginning of the super the the era of superheroes that really was revitalized at the beginning of the 21st century that Brian Singer kicked off with the first X Men, I love watching you know you have X Men one you have Spider Man one there are a couple ones we won't mention in between uh, but then you have X Men two raising the bar and I love watching it's like okay well Spider Man two we got to raise the bar for that and Spider Man two has a similar feel. As far as or the action feeling more organic, taking characters to another level. It's And it's still it, a great I, movie. Yeah. yeah, and I love I, I love that. I love watch going back and watching kind of they're paving the path. Uh very similar to what you know Burton and Donner did with Superman and Batman. Like you see kind of the the you can go back and you can kind of get depressed by the later movies, but you can go back to the start and say, like, man, that's kind of awesome that Richard Donner basically invented the, the superhero movie. This is a, this yeah. so cool. And I feel like you get the same kind of historical significance from like the X-Men movies and the Spider-Man movies.
0: Yeah. It, I mean, just it's so fun to talk about and I'm really glad we're kind of on this journey to, to talk about some of these X-Men films well. And then sadly, the reason we were talking about them this year was um, to build up to Dark Phoenix, which got pushed back till next yeah. year. So um, hopefully that'll be good for the film. Uh, so, um, I am actually interested to see somebody try to execute that story
1: well. The he puts the X in execute.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, um, let's hope that uh, you know Simon Kinberg and the and the group can really do that um, because it is a story I would like to see happen
1: yeah and you get the sense too that this is kind of like because disney has fox now so x-men yeah, is more than last likely raw yeah i think it is i think in a way this is kind of the finale of of 20th century fox's reign that started with with x-men one so in the reign uh, of the you kind x-men of, uh, yeah i i i wasn't i didn't dislike apocalypse it didn't really i, I kind of it sort of disappeared kind of from there. my brain yeah yeah it's there um i mean it's no x or Wolverine it's, 3. <laughs> it's true. It's not that bad. But um I, I want them to have a nice little send off. Yeah, I would too. I would really like that for this because I it it it's gone through so much. Logan was a nice little fulfillment of that, but I would like to see the X Men kind of get a yeah. nice little send off before whatever reboot they do that brings them into the MCU.
0: Why well,
1: I- really uh glad
0: that we have gotten a chance to sit down and and talk about this it's It's been a lot of fun, and I really want to yeah. say thank you to to Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson for their support of the network here through patreon uh Just being my associate producers for this long is is fantastic I, their support means the world to me and uh it also helps bring every other show that we have here on the network um and so You guys, uh, this is a huge network, and we cannot do it alone. And so we ask you, go over to patreon.com slash trekfm. Uh, You can see how you can be part of our team. We have a lot of different uh, levels of support. But honestly, in the end, every little bit helps. Make sure that all the shows that you get keep coming to you each and every week, ad-free, just great content, lots of fun. And so, again, go to patreon.com slash trekfm and become part of our team. Now, Sean... uh, This has been a blast, again, just getting to sit
1: down and reminisce about... X-Men. This is such a great excuse to watch them. I, mean, I, know. I really appreciate like, it. Like as we needed like, this an is... excuse. But um... <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. I love. I mean, I do love these movies. And it, like we were saying, it's so much fun to go back and kind of revisit the more modest era of superhero films. And and these are my favorite. I mean, I love I love Ryan Singer's X-Men movies. They really are some of my absolute favorites. So I, I really thank you so much for, yeah. for bringing me well, on. Well,
0: uh, where can everybody find you if they want to uh, hit you up online or, or see what you're doing
1: uh, podcast wise elsewhere? So if you want to find me podcast wise I uh, I host a podcast called Missing Frames on the Nerd Party Network and that's basically a show where we watch movies we should have seen by this point in our lives stuff like The Godfather, The Princess Bride, all those movies that it's like how could you not have seen that we watch those we talk about them it's a ton of fun. If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at yayshondorman, and uh, yeah, feel free to reach out. Um, I, I, let's talk about the X-Men movies. I love them. Talk about any superheroes movies with me. I love talking about all of them, but yeah, that's where I am.
0: Awesome, man. Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter at madrushing02. I'm also on Instagram under the same name. Uh, you can find me uh, here on the network with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine on The Orb. Uh, I'm over on the Nerd Party Network as well with our, our good buddy, uh, John Mills, and we talk about Star Wars. That's right. Each and every week we just dive into a little bit of heaven as we talk about the franchise that we all just can't get enough of. So make sure you check it out. Uh, doing Owl Post over there as well with Drea Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter one chapter at a time. And that is an absolute blast. And then last but not least, talking about films. Through the lens of faith with my good friend Courtney over on Cinema Stories. And you can find all of the podcasts that I both I and Sean do over on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? <laughs>